Good morning. And welcome to the Boeing Signature Panel. My name is David Cade. I'll be operating as your moderator. I'm Vice President, U.S. Government Services Business Transformation uh, at Boeing in our uh, Global Services Division. We have a phenomenal panel and a great discussion topic, so we're going to get started. Uh, some people will come in a little bit late. I know the Dean's Breakfast was running a little bit. I'm going to ask some of the people in the back if you can kind of move over to the side, to the other side. It'll make it easier as, as people are coming in so they don't disturb um, the panelists. So go back one slide. The topic today is becoming everything you are in a post-pandemic environment. Next slide, please. Now, as we talk about uh, today's environment and what's going on, um, we've had a lot of technological change that accelerated suddenly. As, as you can see, this is our uh, abstract. Uh, living through the COVID environment, we went from our normal day-to-day -day and a lot of promise of technology and what it would bring, and suddenly we were supposed to be home for two weeks to stop the spread, and that turned into two and a half years. And during that time, you saw a lot of technology uh, accelerate in terms of our ability to work remotely, connect and, and, and coordinate with each other. Um, but you've also seen that demand as it's pulled left, you're starting to see now a sudden pullback. Uh, there have been approximately 100,000 layoffs announced, mostly in the technology industry. And so we have this dichotomy of a desire to be more global, to be more technologically uh, integrated with each other. At the same time, we're starting to see some pullback that's there. And the purpose of this panel, what we wanted to discuss is what happens for engineers and others in this environment? How do we connect with each other digitally? How do we uh, embrace the technology? How do we pull those careers uh, into uh, the world, and frankly, Boeing, as we're looking at it, but at the same time, recognizing um, the elephant in the room as you have the growth of AI, as you have um, certain skills that a lot of newer career and younger people missed out on in terms of face-to-face -face interactions, and now we have uh, a lot of pushback for, for many of us who are mid-career or later as we want hybrid environments and an opportunity to work with our, with our families. So if we can go to the next slide, we'll start going through who our panelists are, and I'll let them introduce themselves. Um, we have Evelyn Moore, Director of Engineering and Chief Engineer, F-18. Manuel Tiggs, who's the Vice President for 737 Manufacturing. Mark Cleary, who's the Executive Director of BR&T Advanced Production. Uh, Bernice Billups, Executive Director of Global Engagement Enterprise contributions, and Dr. Pamela Obermann, Dean of the College of Engineering at Prairie View A&M University. Two things I want to remind you. Uh, if you have a question, please come up to the microphone. They are recording this, and we want to make sure the audio is nice and clear. And secondly, if you have an audience question and you don't want to come up and you want to take advantage of technology, uh, there's a phone number you can text your question to, which is 267 804 3836. So with that, we're going to go ahead and get started. You can see our back one, I'm sorry, you can see our uh, technical panel that helped put this together. And I want to start off and just give them a round of applause for, for doing this. And Tiffany is go through the slides as we have each speaker come up and she'll jump in and you can read a little bit about their bios, they tell them. So for each of the panelists, tell us briefly about yourself where you work and your current responsibilities. And ladies first, I'm going to start on the, down on the end with uh, Dr. Obermann. I'm Pamela Bielman, the Dean of the Roy G. Perry College of Engineering at Prairie Review, A&M University. I'm responsible for about 1,100 students 
uh, 100 faculty and staff, and uh, 11 cutting-edge research centers. Um, and that's it. Thank you. All right. Good morning, my name is Monty Tiggs. I'm the Vice President of 737 in Renton, Washington. Uh, so I've been with the company a little over 18 years total. Um, supported multiple platforms, BDS and BCA, and just excited to be here. Good morning, can you hear me? Yes. Yeah, okay, good. Um, my name is Evelyn Moore. I am the F-18 Program Chief Engineer. Um, I am based out of St. Louis. I work in the Air Dominance Division, and I am responsible uh, for production development and fleet support for our Super Hornets and our Growlers that protect this country. Good morning. I am Mark Cleary. I am a director in Boeing Research and Technology, part of our materials and manufacturing team. I lead teams uh, that are responsible for chemical technology, advanced production systems, non-destructive evaluation measurement, and scientific imaging, and I'm located in Seattle, Washington. Good morning, I'm Bernice Phillips. Um, everyone calls me B, so feel free to do the same. I am based in Chicago and a member of Boeing Global Engagement. I oversee all our charitable contributions in the central region, as well as our racial equity and um, social justice strategy, as well as our business enterprise contributions across the company. Okay, let's get started. Um, so now that we're operating in a post-COVID environment, Dean Omiman, please share with the audience how students have been impacted. Let's start with, with uh, people before they've begun their careers. Specifically, tell us about some of the learning gaps that you're seeing. So students in particular at our HBCU, uh, of course, you know the students that we served and the families were heavily hit by the uh, pandemic. And uh, we've had to work with our students who are, they're not as strong in math when they're coming into the engineering programs. They're lacking in the areas of calculus and so forth. Uh, they're also lacking in terms of maturity coming in and working in teams and networking uh, because they spent a large portion of their time, you know, being at home. So we're having to deal with that uh, in our environment. Um, at the junior and senior level, we're also dealing with uh, learning gaps. We're having to uh, reteach a lot of the um, material at the lower levels just to keep them moving and to close that learning gap. So let's follow up a little bit, Dean, um, what the, especially the technology disparities in the African-American communities. What does this mean for how we are being prepared for digital occupations? And, and, and let's focus a little bit more on what can corporate America do, what can academia do to help prepare this next generation? So as you know, um, what we do at HBCUs is we make sure that our students are very successful. So what we've done is we've hired um, very experienced uh, industry alum to work with our senior design classes. And what they've incorporated is they've brought in uh, industries, they've brought in corporate partners in to speak to our students. And they speak on topics such as uh, expectations for new hires. 
they talk about tips they wish they knew when they were first hired or the importance of uh, mentorships. And also uh, post-pandemic, some of the things that we've begun to do and where industry can help us is that um, we've one project that we're working on a pilot right now, we've had a company to commit. Uh, they are giving us two, assigning two professionals to every senior design team. And they're working to help them transition into employment as well as giving them presentation skills and teaching them how to write executive summaries and so forth. So that's very, very helpful. And uh, another thing that we're doing and that industry can help us with is that some of the recent graduates, they're coming back to talk about the pros and cons of working from home and, and helping our students to learn to network. Um, and so they're talking about their experiences and that's very, very helpful. And if we had people from industry to continue to support our courses and come in and talk about these experiences, it would be very helpful and mentor some of these students. All right, thank you. So Mark, how has uh, working remotely changed things, good or bad, at Boeing BRT? Well, I'll say in BRT, we were perhaps a little better off at the beginning because we were, were diversified over our sites. We're not all in one location. We have to work with our extended teams that are in St. Louis and Southern California, Charleston, Huntsville, Philadelphia, and even international. So the tools that were available, I mean, might not have been the best digital tools to use, um, but they were adequate and we stayed connected. I think what we weren't that prepared for is that a lot of our work is in labs and a lot of our work is next to production or in the supply chain. And I think those were challenges on how in the beginning when we were um, not on site uh, how do we support and when we and how do we um, get more resources into fit into fix some of the situations um, I I you know had the advantage I think of when working from home of seeing how other companies were doing it so I saw my wife's company a, a tech startup already you know before the pandemic using um, Zoom and Slack and some other really great tools to connect. And I was a little bit envious because those same kinds of resources weren't as good inside of Boeing. Um, you know, we, we could, uh, there was like Mattermost and there were a few things that you could try to at least bring some of the social context back into work because I think what got lost um, in the beginning was that it was really just about work. It was focused on people's productivity, not like overly prescribed, but that's what you had to focus on. Some of the advantages, I think, um, I remember when my children were small and trying to balance pick up and drop off before or after school, that became easier. And I think there were some people that still, that's a nice ad ad advantage and perk to stay hybrid. Um, so. I think it's still a balance. It's still trying to provide um, our employees the best possible situation for the role and where it makes sense to still accommodate for people that want to work virtually. But it's especially with bringing new employees, so listening to the dean, 
that, that was a challenge. I remember our first year of internships that were virtual. We still wanted to have interns, and that was, that was a different experience to have, trying to create projects that engaged them, that could prepare them for a future job at Boeing, and it be valuable and not feel like, uh, like it was a waste of a summer. Um, we then started to get the okay to bring them in the following year, and I think that was a big deal. And, this, and also as we hire new employees, that they need to, to work side by side at some point in their career to really find the people that are, they can connect with and, and learn from, as well as our more senior engineers being able to transfer some of their knowledge. It can be done virtually, but it's just, it's, it's a little bit difficult when there's an instrument that you need to work on. So let's follow up a little bit. How do you hire um in this type of, of environment, given uh, either the desire to be virtual or uh, the inability to, to be near each other. And if you have various instruments you have to use or knowledge transfer, um, how do you get people into that environment to want to come in, even high gas prices, you know, and saying, well, I might as well stay at home if I'm going to be on WebExes all day. How do, how do you pull people in and, and make that a center of excellence or, or, or a desire to, to pull these people together? You really have to give them a reason now, then more than ever, as to why it matters to be in the office. Uh, we talk a lot about teamwork. We can say a lot of things about collaboration. But if we just have them come into work to log on to their laptop and be on a WebEx all day, that really isn't, to me, a, a very good discriminator of somebody's time. So the, the opportunity is to help problem solve. And I've been in myself in meetings where just in the Puget Sound in the Seattle area, it's sometimes inconvenient to try to be in two spaces in one time because there's going to be an hour plus drive to get from Seattle up to Everett and vice versa. And you can be on a meeting and there can be eight to 10 people in the room and it's not a presentation, it's a discussion, it's a working meeting. And it's really hard to follow the the, the meeting and, and the conversations, even if you know everybody who's in that room. That's one of the things that we can impress upon our, our employees that either hired virtually, hired hybrid, still want to pursue some form of that, but in order to, to, to show them why it matters to come back, it's usually in support of the uh, creative thinking that can take place. It can also be um, supporting 737 uh, in the factory, it's really hard to do that job from your home. Even if you're getting fed all the details in the pictures, it really matters to stand by a mechanic and the, and the challenge they're facing and that frontline supervisor and the, the problems they might be having. It really does matter to, to walk next to them and not just try to do it via email or a WebEx. Okay, thank you. So Evelyn. Let's discuss the government side of the house. We, we heard from Mark on, on the commercial side or, or the research side. Um, Post-COVID, what are the trends you're seeing with how uh, your engineers relate to the U.S. government? And what has been impact on newer career employees versus mid-career employees? Uh, so one of the biggest challenges that we saw during the pandemic, you know, everybody had to learn how to operate in a virtual environment. And, you know, we had like WebEx and Teams um, and systems in place to be able to do that. But now you're seeing the capacity has grown. So then you learn that there are quantity limits 
on WebEx and Teams. Um, so, you know, a lot of our government meetings and engagements with the Navy for my team uh, went virtual. Um, and, you know, actually the customer found it easier to work in that environment and it was cheaper because they didn't have to pay for travel costs. So even, you know, in the post-pandemic environment, we, we, we are still having some of our, uh, a lot of our government engagements virtually. Um, and so there's a, there's a mix and a, and a balance there. We have our face-to-face -face engagements um, as well, but you, the, the cost savings is undeniable if you can accomplish the same goal virtually. Um, so I think, you know, even with uh, me and my customer counterpart, uh, the Navy chief engineer, we've always had, um, you know, discussions weekly or if any issues come up, uh, but we, we found a way to just be able to, you know, operate more so in a virtual environment and some of the engagements that I used to support up in PACs, like our reliability control boards um, that are at the Admiral level, they continue to do those virtually. Um, so I think there's, there's you know, positives and negatives with working um, uh, virtually as opposed to being in, per in person. And you just have to kind of know what engagements are better for those face-to-face -face interactions. Um, and, you know, a lot of times, you know, being in person, you can kind of get more done. Uh, for my team, uh, when COVID first hit and we shut down in St. Louis for two weeks in March of 2020, after those two weeks were up, I was back in the office. And because my team supports production operations, you know, we have to be on the floor with the operators. We have work that is uh, conducted in certain spaces. Um, so, you know, uh, uh, about, I would say about half the team was actually on site at work um, and half of the team wasn't. Uh, for some of our new hires, so I would have round tables because I want to kind of get the pulse of the people, uh, get feedback, understand their experiences and where they were challenged, uh, they were challenged with the fact that, you know, some of our senior engineers weren't available because they, the newer, um, uh, lesser experienced engineers wanted to come into work because they needed that engagement. Um, and, you know, once you're able to, you know, work from home, you know, you can throw some clothes in the wash real quick in between meetings, grab something. No one eat. does that. No one does that, right? <laughs> come on. Keep it's it real. Just, it's real comfortable. Um, and a, a lot of people really um, enjoy having that uh, flexibility. But we actually had employees, you know, they would come in the work and the whole team wasn't there. So they weren't getting that coaching that they needed to be able to do their jobs um, right. Uh, also for our interns, we had, had a round table with some of the interns that came into St. Louis um, in engineering. And, you know, I was saddened by the fact that some of the interns um, came in and they didn't have their hosts. Their hosts were virtual. So they were in the office, but the, the teams weren't. And just trying to connect them with resources because we want everybody to, to be successful at the company. So those were kind of some of the challenges that we saw um, during those times. So what are some concerns you have about the skills 
um, for those employees and, and how people are working in the hybrid or an online environment? What are you seeing like, as, we're, as we're pushing for this return to office? What are some of the drawbacks that, that you're starting to see? Yeah, so Boeing, we have a really skilled and experienced workforce. Um, and a large portion of our workforce is within retirement age. And so we really uh, count on our technical lead engineers for coaching, mentoring, assisting, checking, making sure all the first time quality um, is there. And when they're not available to the um, younger uh, workforce, it makes it more difficult to transfer that knowledge. And that's what we need to keep the company going for the next 100 years. Um, so that I concerned with that piece of things and you know, trying to encourage everyone to you know, come back into the office several days a week um, because that collaboration is, is really important for performance, for the business, and for um, the future engineers in the, in the company. Thank you. Uh, Manuel, so you're over on the operations side. How has uh, the post-COVID environment impacted your work? When you're, when you're talking production, um, our, our, especially the 737, which is our bread and butter as a company, um, as, as we're, we're ramping up even post the, the two horrific crashes and we're, we're, we're trying to get back to a stable production environment, what are some of the downsides of, of working remote have you experienced? Yeah, I think, you know, just to give some optics on the 737, just framing it, we move the airplane every day. So if you can think about the sense of urgency, the response time required from all support functions, um, you know, when we, are, we have impacts on the aircraft, um, we need emergent response. And, you know, in the, I would say the post-COVID, we had a lot of learnings as it relates to how do we take the aircraft and the airplane, all of our resources, and get them into a mindset around sense of urgency and then also understanding the product by which we build to support our customer. So, you know, I say that because, you know, as engineering or support function, we have to rally around the airplane and the people who build the airplane are the mechanics. You know, so during the COVID environment, you know, I have over 8,000, um, you know, mechanics and support elements. And, you know, it was one of those things where the mechanic wants to get their job done. They wanna come in and get their job done. If there's an impact, we have to respond really quickly to support the mechanic on the floor. You know, in terms of the, the technology aspect, we had a lot of learnings because, you know, we had to figure out how do we take the smaller uh, elements of the support elements within the production system, and then how do we keep that sense of collaboration going to support the move of the airplanes? And, you know, through those learnings, I think a lot of the engineers who are returning back to the office, they have seen the value of being next to the product because you can't see it from a model. You can look at it on your, you know, on your laptop. We can have meetings, we can have WebExes, but to actually see the fit, form, and function of a part onto the airplane, it's powerful. So I think you know, just seeing the, the support functions, engineers coming back to the airplane, the 737, you know, it's, it's a huge impact. Um, but I think the, the value is centered on the aspect of being right next to the product and getting that sense of urgency back. 
So uh, what do you think we can do to improve this situation to want people or more people to come back to the office? What's yeah, the I, think the, I think the thing that we can do, you know, in terms of, you know, I always say the why, um, and then going back on the new hire thread, it's, you know, with the elements and the learnings of the production system, um, it's very powerful. So, you know, I tell people all the time, especially the new hires, that why are you here? You know, why do you see value in working for a great company that builds amazing things? And that's one of the benefits of this company. You can work on different platforms, but if you understand the integration points of the airplane, you understand the integration points of the systems that we use, uh, it's powerful because you can leverage those elements across different platforms. But I would say functional, I think it's, uh, you know, just rallying around the, the product line and then also just seeing how cool it is to see the airplane that we build. All right, thank you. B, um, you've kind of got a unique role because you're dispersing Boeing funds uh, in support of our uh, racial and equity um, initiatives, but you're also interacting with, with government officials, so you're kind of seeing um, not only what's going out in the community, but some of the responses back um, from uh, the layoffs or other things that have started to ripple through the technical industry. So uh, now that we've experienced some of that and, and we're going through, even though Boeing is hiring uh, 10,000 people you know, for, for production, um, how do you focus on those impacted? So a couple of different areas. Um, I love the Dean underscoring some of the gaps that the incoming workforce is actually um, faced with while they are attending college. And so from a Boeing Global Engagement perspective, we've had an opportunity to ensure that we are making those investments in the community to support addressing those gaps, especially when it comes to math. And so um, we are seeking actively early learning programs that actually are emphasizing math competency. Um, starting that at an earlier age, um, as we think about how do we make investments to build up the workforce, Boeing's incoming workforce. STEM education, our future, is core to our investment portfolio. Um, I will say during COVID, we had to quickly pivot and look at what the needs of the community were. And that went from talking to government officials at the state and local level, um, as well as going into the community, um, having those conversations to understand where those needs were. Um, Boeing quickly made some significant investments to um, increase access to internet, um, access to technology devices so that students could operate within a virtual environment. Um, I will say one of the biggest things that we ensure we're doing in alignment with recruitment efforts, in alignment with you know, some of the challenges faced within the Boeing production environment as well as the Boeing offices is encouraging employees to actually come back into the office. Um, and so we seek opportunities to create um, engagement within the office with some of our community partners, helping employees understand the needs of the community and how they can actively be there to give back and support those needs. So using that as a tool to increase the why, um, that collaboration is important. Um, the challenge, I will say, is a balance. Um, this is a new workforce. Um, oftentimes, when the recruitment is happening, they already have an offer at hand. You know? So how do we support Boeing with our Boeing Global Engagement um, programs to ensure that individuals see the benefits of becoming a Boeing employee. 
um, as you shore up the engineering um, competency within the organization and that knowledge sharing. And so I think understanding what the needs of the community are very important and then ensuring that we are lockstep with what we need to do from a Boeing business imperative and that is how BGE positions itself for the company. So what advice uh, would you give someone that is either uh, newer in their career in terms of what they need to think about and those skills that you would encourage that they pick up on or someone who's been impacted um, either concerned about a potential layoff or someone who has been what, what's some of the advice you would tell people to prepare and how to come through that successfully so I think first and foremost um, when you're managing a team you want to ensure that you create an environment of trust as a leader you have to be an authentic leader who's also empathetic empathetic and so first and foremost, knowing what your team wants to do. And so we had a great conversation at the Women of Color event back in October, and it was all about you know, the launch, the takeoff, and the landing of your career. And many times, you'll have several launches over your career. And so not being afraid to relaunch your career and pivot when you need to. So if you're in a situation where you feel that your department is doing some downsizing and you could, your role could, could potentially be at risk, start some development. What other areas are you interested in? Let me help you take those steps to um, you know, get the skill sets that you need to launch or relaunch your career into those areas. And a lot of that takes courage, but it also takes support, support of your mentors, support of your advisors. And so um, I push my team to always be thinking about what's next, career development, um, not being afraid to relaunch your career. Um, I spent the breadth of my career um, supporting the senior executives within the company, and I did a relaunch to go do something that I was passionate about, and that support the community. Um, it's something that I did on a personal level, and then I had an opportunity to do that in a professional space. And so using myself as that example, um, there's no age limit, there's, there, there's no context of when you can do another relaunch and look at your career in a different aspect. So being supporting that within our team, I think is really important, and having those conversations often and not just when they're faced with that decision of what do they do. Okay, great. Um, so again, for audience, if you've got questions, you can either come up to the mic and ask, or you can text 267-804-3836 to ask your question. I know we've had a couple come in, so uh, we'll take one or two of those now. Tiffany? So we have received three questions so far, and the first one from Lloyd Johnson in St. Louis. And the question is, um, the theme is becoming who you are. Have you all become who you are so far in your career? Oh, man, I stumped them. <laughs> um, I, I guess I'll start. Sure. <laughs> um, so I would say yes. Um, I would say that, you know, I've been at Boeing for 19 years. Um, I had never, uh, being a program chief engineer was not even in my career path. Um, and so you just, you never know as you build your network, as you find your mentors, as you work with your mentees, because everyone in this room is a leader, um, but as you build your network, you never know where you're gonna end up. And the wonderful thing about Boeing is that there are so many opportunities across the enterprise. Like you can work and live anywhere. Um, I think I still have a ways to go have not um, reached my career objective yet, 
Um, but just working the F-18 program is phenomenal. It's a lot of pressure and stressful because I'm responsible for the technical integrity of the platform and if we are safe to fly. Um, but I think, you know, you gotta identify to the best of your ability what your career path should look like. Um, have a goal in mind, you have to dream big, um, and then you have to go work to get there. So yeah, I still have, I have a ways to go, but I'll get there really soon. I'll just interject real quick. I, I first met Evelyn, I, I had been a VP a week and I had to approve uh, a project she was working on and she presented and I remember after it was over and, and it was over WebEx and I turned to the other VP who I was taking over the role from and I said, we're gonna be working for her one day. Um, just very <laughs> impressed. So I'm glad to see that she's moved up and, and I still have a little ways to go in my career and I know how to salute and, and read an org chart. <laughs> jump in and I, I will say don't be afraid to take a risk. Um, where I'm at today, um, people saw things in me that I didn't necessarily see in myself. And having the courage to, you know, step out on faith and pursue those things is why I'm here today. And so I would say, you know, my journey is not over. I have a lot more impact, but being at a um, position where I'm able to help inform some of the investments that Boeing makes into communities of color, I never imagined myself being here today. And so um, I think about impact all the time. I think about um, pulling individuals up to do this work um, when I decide to do something else on my career path. And so don't be afraid when people see things in you that you don't see in yourself to take a chance and go for them. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll add too. Um, I never expected to become an executive. It wasn't one of my mapped goals, but my, my, I've always sought out hard problems to solve, challenges, and wanting to be a part of something big. And I think Boeing has offered that to me. <clears throat> Earlier before the, we got started, I shared a little bit about my career before Boeing, and I changed jobs looking for a new opportunity, a new role that where I was at, I didn't feel like I had that opportunity. Arriving at Boeing in 2006 and from that day to now, I've been able to and be fortunate to be in an organization that allowed for growth, work with people that shared the same skills that I did. I wasn't the only one person for the whole company that knew how to work chemical processes. And that, allowed me the chance to grow and develop, knowing that you're with a team of people that you could work with and reach out to. And I'll say that being able to take different roles early at Boeing and growing a network quickly, it really happened because of being in support of the work as well as being next to people. And so I think, you know, in terms of also this theme of post-pandemic, how do we make those connections? Just before we got started, I didn't know B, but we've had three separate small conversations about work, about family, about where we live, and that's what we miss out on when we're virtual, and how do we find that, and or, or make sure that people aren't missing out on that connection, because 
well, now I have a new network that I didn't have 30 minutes ago. And so uh, that's really important and powerful. Um, and it's really hard to do when you look at somebody's calendar. We're, we're so focused on a slot of time and outlook. So how do you find those things in the margins that are really important to how we got to where we are today? Yeah, I'll dovetail. I mean, I think you heard a lot of the common themes around it. But, you know, for me, you know, in terms of the career, um, I would say I'm not done. And the reason why I'm not done is because we have a lot of new hires. We had a lot of new strength that's coming through the system. And I went into management for a purpose, and that's to really to lead people. Um, so, you know, I, I always say the job title is one thing, but the respect and the method by which people remember you is the most important. So I'll come in as well. I'm constantly changing. When I came into academia, I came to be a researcher, not a dean or anything of that nature. But uh, so now I have to learn a new set of skills. I pictured myself being in a lab and writing technical papers, and now I'm gonna have to learn about people, and I have to become a very good writer. And so <laughs> that's really hard. But uh, yeah, and constantly budgets. changing. And lots of budgets. <laughs> Um, we have another question. This is specifically for you, Dr. Pamela. Okay. Um, I've noticed many of our HBCU students are extremely bright, but may not have some of the soft skills needed to be successful in corporate America. Have you seen an improvement in soft skills with your students since aligning with industry? Absolutely. Uh, really, after the pandemic, uh, a, a lot of industry partners really stepped up. As a matter of fact, at Purview, we went from having about 40 core industry partners to about 300. So it grew tremendously. Um, and, and the biggest impact is they started working with our freshmen. You know, they had uh, mentors from the freshman year all the way to the senior year. Uh, lots of great networking events. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's been a very, in industry has been very instrumental in moving our students forward. And you, you can probably tell, those of you who are going to the interviews, you may see a big difference. Um, another question before we uh, get to um, Are companies offering incentives for employees who have to come in the office versus those who are primary at home? <laughs> Not that I'm aware of. We got Folgers coffee. We got coffee. <laughs> we, got coffee. <laughs> we have coffee and collaboration. So I'm not I'm not aware of any incentives. Um, you know, prior to the pandemic, we were all in the office. That was part of our daily life. Um, post pandemic, um, you know, we we have to get back where we we have to get to where we need to be. Um, so in my organization, in my division, we have not been offering any incentives. I think some existed before the pandemic, and I, but I think they sort of atrophied. So meaning there's commuter assistance in certain locations, there's childcare benefits in certain, you know, that you can reach into. I think we forgot about a lot of the things that we did or supported, um, post-pandemic, but there's a lot of opportunities inside of Boeing to help you be successful outside of work, which is really where a lot of um, that support is needed 
and maybe why somebody may choose to stay virtual um, because it can be a burden uh, the, that commuting or the cost of commuting or the cost of childcare. So there, there are there there are certain benefits, um, and I think we just have to refamiliarize ourselves with them to get them in front of our employees. And I will say um, health and wellness is huge within Boeing, if you think about that concept. And a lot of our facilities do have on-site um, health, you know, workout facilities. And so coming into the office now, you have that opportunity to, you know, work out either in the morning or go on your lunch hour or after work. That's a benefit. Additionally, um, thinking about the opportunity for, you know, development, you know, there are opportunities to do some on-site career development. And so I totally agree with Mark. We have to really elevate those benefits to the new hires who and those who have newly um, become Boeing employees. Um, one thing, I did have an opportunity to bring on staff during COVID, and you know they were really struggling with that connectivity. And so um, I said, hey, why don't we do some coffees? Why don't I set you up with a few employees where you can meet at a coffee shop if they're comfortable to help you learn about everything that Boeing offers. And so as we return to work, I think we probably need to refamiliarize our team with all of the benefits that have already existed and so that they can fully leverage them. And I'll just say, um one of the things in terms of there's not necessarily a financial benefit that's immediate, it's more of a longer term. And I, I tell especially newer career employees, a lot of the projects that you might end up working on that will define your career don't come from your normal job skills. It comes from someone senior seeing you say, hey, come here, and, and I've got something immediate that's got to get done, and you're a warm body that's right there. And that's a great opportunity for you to make an investment in your career demonstrate your capabilities and actually be able to maybe present in front of senior leaders. And, and I can name a number of newer career employees as they've moved up. Those are the things that have gotten them noticed when they're presenting to a number of senior leaders, vice presidents, and they're like, wow, who's that? And they're really impressed and they start following up and they wonder why this hidden hand is suddenly elevating their career. It's because they're seen. And so I, I tell employees, there may not be money that you can immediately see, but there's this benefit that you're putting in for your own investment for your career. And so think about it in, in terms of that. Now turning back to some questions, um, I've got a whole bunch of areas I wanna go into. So Mark, I wanna talk a little bit about productivity. Have you seen a marked decline in productivity with virtual hybrid uh, versus full-time? And if not, how does that become part of the value proposition to tell people, um, you know, we, we need you back in the office. I'd say yeah, that's a tough one because I don't, I, I don't, a lot of what we do in BRT, it can be done remote and be more productive. There are elements of the work that we do that is in a lab, you're, you're testing, and but once you have your results, there's a, a great opportunity for you to do that quietly at home and be more productive doing that at home. And so I think that's where, you know, in terms of an, an organization and what we're trying to communicate to, to new and our current employees in, in, in Boeing Research and Technology is that we want to be the best. And that means that the team has the opportunity to continue to work hybrid. So there isn't, an, at least in, from where I sit inside of Boeing, a strong push to, to fully return to the office, 
but to figure out what that mix of days in and out will work best. Um, you know, I think from maybe it's generational too. Mm -hmm. I think for me, I enjoy to be more in the office. I enjoy communicating with people face to face and I like that interaction. Um, I know that there, there are people that do enjoy the, the digital environment and they are effective and they're, they are productive. Um, I think when we see the gaps in the work that we need to do and, it, and we're not making it happen, then we, and it feels like we should be hiring, we need to look at that productivity piece and think, would we be more effective if our whole team was together? Um, so I think it, for, for me to answer that question, it's a little bit case by case, and I think we've maintained a level of productivity hybrid, but I think in the, some ways it could be like a short-term effect where at some point you sort of will run out of the team's experience without being together. Okay. Evelyn, um, what's been the personal impact to you as we talk about the post-COVID environment, um, be brought up health and wellness, but, but as a leader, what have been some of the effects on you in operating in this environment and how are you using those learnings to help shape and develop your team? I would say the biggest impact for me with the pandemic and, you know, I have, you know, employees that have lost parents and it just, it just kind of brings the connection of how valuable time is. Uh, so for my own health, wellness, and sanity, um, I'm trying to make sure I have a better work-life balance in 2023. Um, and uh, just leave work at a certain time. I can finish up at home, that's fine. Uh, but I also have a third grader um, and spending more time with him is really important. Uh, so in the post-pandemic environment, I just, I remember like even at COVID or uh, the work from home days, the work from home days were still 12 hour days, you know? And so, um, and that's, that's more difficult because you may be in your home office all day or sitting all day. Um, so uh, just like Mark, I prefer to be in the office. Um, there's usually a, a line of people outside of my office because we have great challenges to solve each and every day on the F-18 program. Um, but for me, it's um, just kind of finding that balance between work and life outside of work, demonstrating that for my employees because I want them to be well and healthy. I want them to give their best at work that kind of improves productivity. Um, and just, you know, allowing myself to take the time off and the, the, now that we can get back to traveling and everything and give my body and my brain the time it needs to recuperate so I can jump back in and uh, help solve those challenges. Uh, Dean Pamela, what's been the economic impact um, as we talk about your students and coming out of the, the uh, COVID environment how have they been Im impacted financially? Are you seeing struggles in terms of being able to graduate, uh, being able to 
maybe continue for a particular semester as, as the resources they relied upon may or may not exist anymore? Absolutely. Um, we've seen a significant increase in the number of students needing financial aid, um, even students who, because they lost a lot of parents and grandparents during the pandemic, we're seeing a significant amount of mental issues. Students are isolated in their dorms and, you know, they, because uh, they're used to being online, they're on all kinds of social media and they, they're just not used to connecting. We see them in the hallways and you say hello and they're on their phones, I'm like, hello, <laughs> your dean is here, hello. Uh, you know, who cares, they keep moving. So um, there's, there's just not a, a big connection here. But going back to the financial uh, um, issue, we do, we, we see a, a huge increase in financial need. Well, of course, you know, this community was hit very hard by the pandemic. So what, let me ask you then, what, what is the school doing and um, how, are, how is Prairie View responding and how generally can universities respond other than you know, corporate sponsors and everything? So, so one of the things we've been lucky to have at our great University of Prairie View Adam University, we've been led by Ruth Simmons. And Ruth Simmons uh, played a major role in bringing in additional funding in terms of foundations as well as um, you know, other people bringing in funds. So we were able to set up a few endowments to help our students in terms of those funds. And we're also looking at um, a lot of undergraduate research opportunities paid so that the students, when you make donations, we do uh, use those donations to give students paid job opportunities so that they can have additional funding. Um, we're just, you know, we're lacking resources and we will probably continue, but um, uh, that's all I can say, they are struggling. So Mani, let's talk a little bit about the supply chain. Um, Boeing is, a, is an integrator. There's obviously a number of things that we manufacture, but most of, of what goes on our aircraft is, is manufactured within the supply chain. And how, when you look over with the, the impacts in, in the technology workforce, how has that impacted the supply chain and what advice would you give uh, here in the audience to someone who may be going to a supplier or somewhere further down in the value stream um, in terms of what to think about as, as they either begin their career or, or reach that mid-level point? Yeah, I mean, the supply chain for us, um, obviously, it's you know coming out of the post-pandemic, it's a disruptor. Um, you know, just holistically, and, and it's not just our industry, uh, the aerospace industry, it's across all platforms. You know, I think some of the things that, you know, from the learnings, um, you know, we have gotten smarter as it relates to some of the data analytics that we use to get back into the supply chain, understand their impacts. But from the supply chain aspect, they have the same learnings as us. We have a lot of new employees coming on um, to the production environment. And you know, within Boeing, we call it's what's called standard work, and standard work is the repeatability, uh, and then also understanding, having people write things down on how do we operationalize things. So you know, going into the supply chain, understanding their impacts. Um, you know, if you're in the value stream of the supply chain, you go to their environment. You know, that's one of the learnings. Have them write the elements down as it relates to their standard work, and then the repeatability by which they operate. Um, you know, I think coming on the 737, 
the rate by which we move and the frequency by which we move, bringing the suppliers into the production system environment, bringing them to our house has been impactful as well. So if you're in that value stream, you know, get them to the product uh, and help leverage that conversation and vice versa. We go to the supply chain, we understand where their impacts or where their shortfalls are. And then, you know, as a Boeing side, we lean in as well. Um, so, you know, we get creative on the supply chain health uh, in terms of their data analytics, in terms of their culture um, from a lean perspective, and then how do we get that waste out of their system to make sure we get repeatable products to us. Uh, and then the last one is the integration of the logistics. Um, you know, we have suppliers all over the world, as you know, a lot of the Boeing team knows, um, but I would say we got smarter on how do we move parts across the supply chain? Um, because you would just be a, I was utterly amazed on when I heard, well, this part is, you know, boated in, then we fly it in, then it goes back across. So we got smarter in terms of the supply chain logistics and the supply chain health. Okay. And B, um, let's talk a little bit about the old word, outsourcing. Um, obviously, there's been, um, over the last number of years, a tremendous push to globalize and outsource the work. But now, because of the pandemic and because of supply chain problems, uh, we're starting to see some question that model. So, so how should employees react or respond to either the threat of outsourcing or uh, putting a value add for their career to, to give the advantage um, that maybe their work won't go abroad and, and they can convince others or demonstrate a need for that work to stay here? So I think about outsourcing in terms of efficiency. Um, oftentimes, there's a cost value analysis um, when the company makes decisions on what components of the work can be outsourced. Um, I talk to my team a lot about um, outsourcing because um, several functions that we work with within Boeing have been outsourced. Um, and so when you think about how do you continue to add value to the company um, with working with those functions. And so we saw a huge opportunity for training um, as several of Boeing's functions related to like supplier code setups through enterprise supplier profile administration. Um, also as it relates to even payments, um, money going out the door. We give money away, and so we want to make sure that money gets out the door quickly um, to that nonprofit organization. And so we work directly with those functions within Boeing to help educate the rest of the team on how to operate within this new outsourcing environment and what are best practices that can be shared um, and how to utilize these efficient processes that have been put in place. And so I think looking at the outsourcing, not in always a negative sense, but looking at it in terms of how do I still create value for my team and the company as these services have been outsourced um, is where we've been able to capitalize on best practices, information sharing, um, to ensure first-time quality when you're putting a payment through um, out or when you're submitting a request to have a supplier profile set up. You know, how do we work more efficiently within those outsourced services is how we tend to look at it internally. Great, thank you. Hey, so, go ahead, Mark. Yeah, could I add on, I mean, it's just thinking back on the question about the supply chain. And if you're at a supply chain, uh, one of our suppliers, that I think one of the, and if you are there, is that you, you start to think about how to connect Boeing or the things that you do inside of your supplier that 
you know, a large, I don't know if this is going to be a topic or not, but digital transformation mm -hmm. and the connection of the engineering design all the way out to a supplier and back. And I know that in Boeing, we've had some partnerships with some large suppliers as they're trying to do some of the same work we are. How do you, how do we have a digital factory that is well connected, well integrated, the data is coming off the machines, we're moving, we're more efficient, and and there are there are where there are areas that we can collaborate in a non-competitive way that we need to have some standards that in terms of the, the technology um, and how we deliver data and how we monitor. And I think there's ways, there's going to be a lot of opportunity in the next few years in that space. And I think it's really exciting as, you know, prior to Boeing being working for a company that was a supplier to Boeing, you just, you sort of received the information, you did your best with it. And that connection was, you know, days sometimes to, to get information back. And I think there's a big advantage in the future for us to be able to transmit issues quickly, resolve issues quickly, um, when I think about that moving line, uh, we don't want to see it spend an extra minute in a position, and we want to keep things going. Um, so I think from the supply chain, that's one of the things I have on my mind as we move forward in manufacturing and our, and our total production system. Great. You read my mind, actually. I was going to okay. come there. So appreciate <laughs> it. So you set up Dean Pam. Let's just talk real quick, and then we have some audience questions. With respect to digital transformation, how can we better prepare our students to come up in this environment now where, where they're using these digital tools and they're able to you know, help send work to a supplier or to a government customer and get it back and be able to manipulate it in, in an environment that, that didn't exist 10 years ago. So, so some of the things that we're doing is we're working with our corporate partners to actually change our curriculum to a point in some areas. We're still, you know, ensuring that our students are, uh, are very strong from a theoretical perspective, but we're also including business and supply chain and data analytics, and, and uh, we're, we're modifying our curriculum to meet the needs of today and the disruptive technologies that are here. So um, that's one way that we're preparing them, as well as we're asking industry to uh, send guest speakers, guest lectures, to make sure that uh, students understand what, what the needs are. And we've established several lecture series with, where many of you in this, your companies do participate and, and have discussions with both faculty and students. Great, um, and real quick, Evelyn, with respect to our government customers, what are you seeing with respect to digital uh, transformation? Is that something that the capability of, of, of working, and I, and I know there's some things you can't talk about that are classified, but are there, are there aspects of it that you find favorable that there's a greater capability, or, or is, is, is that an area that has to be developed more? Yeah, I think, um, you know, for the F-18 program, you know, we use model-based systems engineering on our growler um, platform, so those requirements are modeled. Uh, we also have an open systems architecture um, component on our platform today that's in the fleet where you can um, add software applications, so kind of real-time capability uh, to the warfighter 
um, and the team is working on even more opportunities with the government. Uh, but yet, yeah, that is uh, the digital enterprise and di digital transformation is the future. You know, our T7A Red Hawk that's, um, that pays homage to uh, the Tuskegee Airmen uh, that's built out of St. Louis, um, they went from a computer screen design to first flight in less than three years. They are able to, um, with the technology that we are using today, they're able to splice an aircraft in 30 minutes. Um, and it takes us on the F-18 program, uh, because our platform is older, it takes us maybe three shifts to splice an aircraft. Put it together. Three, so like a day, 24 hours, sorry. Um, but you know, so it, it is that technology that allows us to be more efficient. The government recognizes that. Um, and it, it is the future and we are heading down that path. Um, one of the items that I wanted to mention um, to answer to contribute to Dr. Pamela's question was, you know, in St. Louis, uh, we are we have this pilot program. Uh, so for engineering, we're trying to leverage student purchase services. So the Boeing company will contract with a, a local university in St. Louis. The last one we just did was the University of Missouri in St. Louis, and it is a um, it's a contract where you can add tasking to it. And we have the students come into Boeing, work with the Boeing engineers on our tools. So our digital tools, they come in, they learn. Um, and it is in hopes of contributing to a diverse workforce, um, pouring into the community, um, and uh, ensuring that you know, we have graduate, local graduates that have the skills and understand Boeing, so when they graduate, they'll want to come work for Boeing, and they'll stay because they're, you know, already uh, part of the community. Um, we also uh, launched last year. It's called a BE3 program because we love acronyms, but it's the uh, Engineering Equity and Education program where we have uh, middle school and high school students from North County um, in St. Louis. And we had set up several uh, programs for the middle school students to go to um, science camps and from the high school students. So the high school students, they come into Boeing, do their summer internships. We pay them like 15 or $16 per hour. Um, and they actually get to work with, you know, real engineers on projects on F-18, F-15, T-7. And um, I know there was a question earlier about those soft skills, but that's what's incorporated into the training that we're providing. Because you know, with our you know, in our community, there may be you know individuals that need to learn about how to work in a professional environment, and that's not a, a may not be a skill that you're born with, but it has to be taught. So just trying to kind of reach in and help wherever we can, and then hopefully the programs like that uh, will be replicated across the enterprise. Great, thank you. Tiffany, got some audience questions. And again, if you have a question, feel free to text it 267-804-3836. And if you have a verbal question, come on up to the mic. 
I'm heading back a little bit towards to the, to the team. How do you intentionally develop talent within your team? I'll start. Uh, I think the, one of the things we, we do on a, on a regular cadence is review our roster. And so that's all levels of our team to understand assignments, next steps, look at um, way that, where they're standing in terms of uh, their development and, and are they ready for a promotion? What kinds of things in that next level can they be assigned? So I think it's a very intentional process that we're in, engaged in our people development. Um, it kind of goes to what B was saying about uh, the relaunching. Sometimes people are very interested in going really deep into their field and how do we um, make sure that's possible, as well as some people have next steps in mind and working with them, but it's, uh, there's that level of engagement that happens from a supervisor to that person on a team, but there's also the oversight that happens to ensure that we're not missing and we're not having anybody uh, slip off to the side and, and not get the same level of uh, development that they, that they require. One thing we do um, within Boeing Global Engagement, because we are under government operations and within my role, I also do the Chicago political um, relationships as well. And so we do some job shadowing as we have employees who express an interest who may be a staff analyst and are looking to be a community investor or get engaged in more of the government operations um, um, career field, we'll do job shadowing and allow those individuals to go out with, to meetings with us, help educate them on the process as they explore um, different careers within the departments or if they have an interest in something outside of our department, we make sure we connect them with individuals, say for instance if it's HR, um, having those relationships and connecting them with some of the HRGs or HR leaders to talk about opportunities within HR and see if we can create some job shadowing as well. Yeah, and I would, I would echo off of that as well. You know, from the internally to the operations team, you know, we're very intentional, and from my leadership, we're very intentional on doing the lunch and learns and getting that sense of environment so that, you know, our resources understand what the bigger Boeing is all about. Um, so we're very intentional on that. And then the other one, the job shadowing, kind of dovetailing off of that, that's powerful in itself. Um, so, you know, in terms of, you know, as I talked about earlier, the why, people have to understand how the entire value stream works. So, you know, from an intentional perspective, you know, when I'm sitting down with my leaders or other leaders or my mentees, you know, if there's areas of opportunities where I can use my network to get them looped into another entity, um, that's, you know, that's the aspect of where we're coming from on leadership journey. Yeah, so, I, you know, in 2022, uh, we have, there have been um, several training opportunities um, in St. Louis for our first-line leaders um, and our managers in general. And kind of what I do with my team is we have our monthly people meetings where we evaluate, you know, our employees and, you know, who's ready to go to the next level, who's struggling so we can get them some extra help. Um, so we look, we look at employee by employee, uh, kind of what the, the team needs. And of course we have, you know, one-on-one -on -one sessions with um, our employees where we are supposed to talk about career development and seek, speak, and listen. 
um, and just have that uh, collabor collaborative moment. Um, you know, the employee's career development is also their responsibility. Um, but I think, you know, just talking to your manager, um, you know, helping us identify if we have any training gaps so we can go off and address them. Uh, but I do see in, um, that we are investing more in training. There's a um, new first line leader pilot program uh, that HR is rolling out um, in St. Louis. Um, so I volunteered some of our first line leaders to attend that so they can get, um, so the program can get some feedback before they fully launch it. Um, but just making sure you kind of understand uh, the gaps on your team where your people are at and um, how you can help them and help them get to the next level. Um, and ensuring that, you know, that everyone who needs a mentor has one and making those connections. Uh, John Madison, National Science Foundation. What sort of things are you guys thinking about doing or doing to help kind of safeguard your employees from, you know, the overwork that kind of bleeds into when you're doing things from home, but also safeguarding the company culture, right? Because you do have to have teams even if you work from home. So I'll jump in. Um, we talk about work-life balance a lot. We talk about the need for health and well-being. Um, one thing that we found within BGE that a lot of employees engaging in the community is a mechanism that they use to create that downtime, giving back. And so we found opportunities to increase the company support for that. Um, oftentimes, people aren't aware that Boeing has a very robust gift match program. Um, employees get an annual limit of $10,000. They can make donations to a nonprofit, a qualified 501c3 of their choice, and Boeing matches that donation annually up to $10,000. Um, in addition to that, volunteerism. Um, that is one of the areas where you can really disconnect, disconnect from work, disconnect from stress, um, and give back to the community. So we have a volunteer match program where you can get your hours that you give to the community with a qualified nonprofit 501c3 um, match $10 per hour. Um, and currently during the month of, for six weeks, starting from MLK birthday to the end of February, February 28th, um, we are doing an every hour counts campaign to kind of help employees, you know, um, increase that tenfold by for every hour that you go out and give to the community, that is matched by $10. And in 2022, I believe it was, um, over the same time frame, Boeing employees volunteered over 28,000 wow. hours just over that six week span. That's right. That's right. And so if that is a way that employees, you know, can really kind of disconnect mentally, because um, you are absolutely correct that when you are working from home, you tend to work a lot of hours. Um, and so, you know, Boeing encouraging that giving back in the community is, I think, a key um, resource to help that work-life balance. I think, I think also it's, um, it's up to us as leaders to be an example for our teams and our employees that we do have times that we shut off and that we shut down. That's one thing that has to happen. The other thing is employees 
we're not snooping, but there's digital trails that happen. That email that you sent at one o'clock in the morning, if you sent me that like for five days in a row, then I'm gonna have a conversation with Jonathan about what's going on. Um, and, and maybe how much work is on your plate that, that you might need some help with. And, and so, you know, I think the hours that we work has changed and, and, and but we still have to pay attention to when somebody's overloaded. Um, and so there, that has to be a two-way conversation because we can be busy and we definitely don't read minds. And, and so that it, making sure as there's a cadence and a rhythm of checking in, asking questions about how things are going and not just be about work um, so that we can ensure, ensure that our, our team is healthy and here for the long term. Completely agree. And uh, as I am a self-proclaimed workaholic, I heard. that I'm trying to get better, <laughs> I have to be careful not to text my direct reports after hours, right? Because they're going to respond because it's me, yeah. right? Or, you know, I have to be careful when I send emails because if I send an email 10 o'clock at night, I'm, I'm telling you the response comes five minutes later. And so, and I don't want them to feel like they have to, and my intent is you don't have to respond to me right now, you know, but they do. And so then you have to be more thoughtful about like when you're doing things or, you know, putting that little, cause you can time it in Outlook when your emails go out, right? So they get them in the morning instead of at night. So just being more, um, just conscientious about what I'm doing and how that impacts the team and for the leaders on my team, just the same, uh, you know, the same way. I will say though, because we support production operations and production operations is 24 hours yeah. a day. So that's kind of where it gets sticky. If there's an issue that comes up on third shift, you know, then our production engineering team has to address it. Right? But we have third shift people that are working. Um, so it just, it's a, it's, a, it's a balance. And, but I think it's doable. And I think there's tools to kind of help us manage. I will say, you know, if there's a, like a really critical issue and I know like the safety guy works weird hours and he happens to be up at 10 o'clock at night and he's green on IM, you know, I will IM him. So I, sometimes I can't control myself. Um, but, you know, just the, the, the self-awareness and how that impacts your people um, and, you know, not overburdening burdening them. Burdening them, I can't speak. But, you know, not trying not to overburden them. As well as still offering flexibility with the return to work option. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah flex time never went away. <laughs> I think our... And that goes back to you know making sure the workforce is aware of the benefits that have are that are there that existed prior to um, the pandemic. But yeah, the team still has the option to work 980s. You know, work with your manager on your work schedule. Uh, but yeah, I think we you know even with the return from telecommuting, you have to be flexible. Um, because you are in a different environment. So, you know, you have to balance performance, productivity, what things need to be to get done. And there may be pockets that, you know, 
it's okay because they're performing that could still be in a virtual environment. Yeah, and I think that's one of the learnings too, you know, during the, the COVID uh, elements is really that sense of vulnerability and then really opening up our teams to have those conversations. And, you know, as a leader, we've, we're people, right? So there are people needs, there's business needs, and it's really that balance in terms of having those discussions with our teams. And that's what I think helps us kind of get through the flexibility elements of timing or sending emails at different times, but people do what people see at the end of the day. And, and I think the power of setting that key example and then checking in with your team, I think it'll yield the results. Um, another question, as a manager, how do you balance prioritizing your team's career development and day-to-day -day work with your own career development? Um, Evelyn, I like that she underscored your development is your responsibility initially. Um, Boeing has some great tools in place. Um, each month we have conversations um, with our team about development. Um, they're able to track it. Um, they're able to update their career you know, objectives. Um, and so I think as a manager, we have a responsibility to ensure we're leveraging all of those tools that are available. But I look at my career development as my career development. And so I tell my team, look, wherever you want to go and wherever you want to be, I'm here to help you get there. Um, I am not trying to hold you. I view myself as a talent broker to help develop your talent and get you to where you want to be, whether that be within this department or in another area where you have found an interest. My job is to help you get there. So come to me with a goal, and we will help develop a plan to get you there. But we got to start with a goal in place first. And so having often conversations about it, um, having I encourage everybody to have an accountability partner, um, be it your mentor or a sponsor, someone who's going to keep you on track, continue to you know encourage you. You can check in with them, but you know I think it is a team sport. Your development and that individual is the key player. I think that question is probably going to have a different answer for everybody who answers it. Um, I would say for me, I probably put myself second and I think about developing my team first and see. So that's one of the funner parts of the job is to hire new people in the roles and they, not, they might not be at that skill level to start, but to see them grow and give them opportunity and coaching. Um, I think I enjoy that part of my job more than seeing myself take the next position um, because I think as your team gets better and stronger, they're, they're sort of, that, that says a lot about what you do as a leader. Okay, and I think we're at time. So I want to thank, uh, appreciate the audience for the questions. I want to thank our panel. If we can give them a round of applause for coming here. Uh, it's, been, it's been a great opportunity to, to interact with all of you and, and recognizing what <laughs> Boeing uh, is doing, not only with respect to our employees, but also out in the community. So please take advantage of those opportunities. And if you have questions or topics uh, that you would like to see addressed at future Bay events, Dr. George Parker is here, and, and uh, he helped coordinate a lot of this and would be more than willing to uh, take on some additional volunteers to help out. <laughs> so again, thank you very much. I uh, appreciate you coming out and uh, hope to see you guys tonight at the gala.